everyone. You're listening to Ed Young Radio, Ed Pastors Fellowship Church, and we want to thank you for listening with us. These next few minutes together can change your life, and you can always hear more by visiting edyoung.com. Enjoy the message. The concluding commandment is different. The first nine deal with our behavior, and this last one hits on our attitude our disposition, if you will. It's easy to pinpoint nine specific behaviors, but it's another thing to get our arms around our disposition. It's difficult also to call number 10 a sin because this deal is so tethered to our times. I want you to listen as I read God's word in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You shall not covet. You shall not covet. To covet means to have an obsession with someone else's possessions. It's when our needs speed into greed. Now, a lot of us, after reading this text, are probably concluding to ourselves, well, I guess this means that we're to be desire-free. I guess this means that we're not to have any goals or objectives. I guess God wants us to be vacant of vision, void of any productivity. No. That line of thinking is false. Because we are to be goal-oriented, we are to be vision-minded, we are to achieve those objectives. What God is driving at, though, is simply this. He's looking at that desire that, when left unchecked, can turn into a raging fire and thus cause us to covet. He's talking about a desire that's excessive. So don't walk out of these doors and say to yourself, well, I should not have any desire. Desire is God-given. It's the excess. And it's elongating it and getting involved in it and immersed in it that messes all of us up. Our culture has cut its teeth on consumerism. Everywhere we turn, people are talking about possessions. It's hip these days to say, I want the simple life. I want to scale down. I want to really have things that are just basic, you know, just buy Gap clothing for the rest of my existence and eat, you know, kind of a bland vegetarian diet. Yeah, we say that, but talk is cheap. I believe today's session is tailor-made for the Metroplex. We're in to covetousness, aren't we? Texans are known for the big hair, the big houses, the big cars, and the big diamond Rolex watches. Covetousness. Covetousness. What is it that turns your heart and turns your head? What is it that makes you a little bit vulnerable, that causes you to 
want something? What is it that changes this God-given desire into a raging fire? What is it that causes you to tread on number 10 and to become obsessed with someone else's possessions? Maybe cars are your thing. Maybe clothing is your thing. Maybe antiques. Maybe hunting supplies or, or golf. I don't know what it is, but we have something that if left unchecked, if not guarded, can really mess us up. Let's read the remainder of this verse because I just read the first four words to you. Let's read the whole deal, Exodus 20, 17, because this is the way I read it this past week as I was studying. I said to myself, okay, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. I said to myself, well, I'm, I'm good there. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. All right, good there. Or his manservant or maidservant. Eh, irrelevant. I'm great on that one. Manservant, maidservant. His ox or donkey. <laughs> oh, boy. This next one, though, steps on my toes. Doesn't it step on yours, this next part of the verse? Or anything? Ooh. Or anything that belongs to your neighbor? When I covet something, wouldn't it be nice turns into, I've got to have what you have. Anything. Do you covet anything? I want you to say this word with me. Covetousness. One, two, three. Covetousness. It's tough to say. And don't laugh when I flub it up later on because I know I will. Covetousness. I've been rehearsing it all week. Covetousness. It's hard to say, but it's harder not to do. Wouldn't you agree? As I was preparing for this message, I began to pray to God and ask God to give me words to say. I prayed for you this entire week. And I said, Lord, help me to articulate this message in a memorable way. Because one of the things that I try to do when I speak is, I try to give you something that you can take home something, a little phrase, a little word that you can grasp and make real. So two, three, four months from now, when you think about covetousness, you can think about this little phrase or this little word or this little word picture object that we did for you. Well, as I was praying, God began to give me a bunch of rhymes. So I'm going to do the Dr. Seuss thing as we talk about covetousness. So I'll warn you right up front. And as we go through these series of rhymes, I believe they will help us get into the antithesis of covetousness, which is contentment. Because the core, the crux of this commandment is contentment. Let's look at the first rhyme. I know you can't wait. It's going to be on the side screens. Here's what we have to do. We have to learn to admire without the acquire. Learn to admire without the acquire. What is it that turns your heart? What is it that turns your head? We have to learn to admire that something without the acquire. We've got to learn how to say, I appreciate that. That's great. Good for you. 
That's incredible. Without those sentences and without those thoughts turning into that raging fire. Because if they turn into a raging fire and we begin to covet certain things, we end up burning up the focus of our faith and wasting a lot of time and energy chasing things that really don't matter in the grand scheme of things. It's fascinating when you think about the historicity of this sin. If you look this afternoon, for example, in the book of Isaiah chapter 14 around verse 12, you'll see the biography of Satan. Before Satan was called Satan, he was known as Lucifer, the star of the morning. It was his objective, day in and day out, to lead worship and adoration toward God himself. Well, one day, Lucifer began to have that desire to acquire, and it became a raging fire, and he tried to elbow God out of the way and because of this sin of covetousness, God booted him out and he descended to earth. So we're talking about a history here. We're talking about an old, old and ancient sin. But we're talking about something that we all struggle with. I'd be lying to you if I said, well, I've got number 10 wrapped up. I don't have a problem with it. And you're gonna be lying to yourself if you say the same thing. So the next time you feel all of those marketers and all of those advertisements and commercials trying to rev up those engines to possess, the next time you feel that, learn to admire without the acquire. Have you ever thought about all the billions and billions of dollars of research and marketing that all of these highly educated people do in order to get us just to drop our self-control guard down for just a second so we'll get weak, then they'll throw the punch of their pitch and then it will kind of push those buttons to get us all passionate about possessing something. Have you ever thought about it? I mean, right now, there's probably executives from Ivy League school somewhere in New York or L.A. dreaming and scheming and strategizing of ways to make you and me covet because they know when we love it, we'll covet. <laughs> Let's go to the next rhyme. We also have to make a confession about our obsession. We've got to make a confession about our obsession. Have you ever felt this fire? Have you ever felt it beginning to rage in your life? Have you ever felt, oh man, I cannot believe they're doing that. I can believe they have that. I can't believe this person got that promotion or now they have children or this or that. Whenever you feel that and then you start saying to yourself, God, I deserve that. God, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm the man. God, I'm the woman. God, I'm involved in your church. God, I'm a good person. God, and we sort of blame God. If, if you ever kind of have that pity party thing, if you ever enter the moan zone, don't. Don't even go there. 
Because the Bible will tell us to make a confession about our obsession. All I have to do is just peruse the pages of Scripture and discover that I don't deserve a thing. I deserve a Christless eternity. I deserve hell. I deserve to have this giant cosmic chasm between myself and God because of my sinfulness. Yet, I've got it made if I'm a child of God, and so do you. I've got clothes on my back, food on the table, roof over my head. I've got forgiveness. I've got eternal life. I've got power with my weaknesses. I've got a clear conscience. I've got an incredible deal going on. So who am I? Who are you to give this weak stuff to God? Well, God, I can't believe you helped them and not me. God, I can't believe they got that inheritance and not me. God, I can't believe they're driving this and not me. God, I can't believe they're living in that zip code and not me. Give me a break. Isn't that sad? I get mad at myself for doing that. Well, when I feel that going on, when you feel it, remember the rhyme. Make a confession about your possession. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7. Here's what the Apostle Paul told young Timothy. What great advice. Also, it's great advice in 1999. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Paul saying, Timothy, we brought nothing in and we take nothing out. We started with zero, we end with zero. Just for a second, I want you to imagine a long continuum on stage. On this side of the continuum, just think about a giant zero. I'm talking about a big O. I'm talking about nothing. Zero right here, just a big zero. On the other end, let's do another big zero. You got it? Zero here, zero there. For example, let's say the first zero on that end of the continuum represents my birth. When Edwin Berry Young was born, March 16th, 1961, I was born with zero. Naked, nude. I didn't have a wallet, didn't have a green shirt, didn't have black pants, I didn't have a thing. I'm not gonna show you pictures, but just trust me. All of us were born with zero, nothing. One day, only God knows when, one day I'm gonna die. Or if you were here a couple of months ago when I did this series called The End, The End Times, if Christ comes back in between time, I'll be zapped from here to eternity, but that's a whole nother story. If you wanna learn about that, just pick up the tape series. Anyway, one day though, if that does not happen, I'm gonna die, I'm, I'm gonna keel over, the heart will stop beating. I don't care how much health food and carrot juice I drink, how much time I spend on the Stairmaster lifting weights, I'm gonna die. And then I'll leave the earth with what? Zero. So I'm born with zero, I end with zero. Now here is where most human beings miss it. Here is what really trips us up. Because as we are beginning to develop, we begin to kind of figure the deal out. From a humanistic perspective, we say, oh, I've got to collect a lot of possessions. That's the deal. That's the way I score points, possessions. So I'll accumulate all these things. And we begin to pick up possessions. And we begin to compare ourselves with others. We begin to say, whoa, i got this possession. And i got this possession. I've got more possessions than you do. And I'm scoring, man. I've got a lot of possessions. And my possessions are a little bit, oh, I dropped one. My possessions are more than yours. And I'm going to take everything I can, man. Oh, look at this. 
Boy, my possessions are building interest. They're compounding daily. Whoa, look at my portfolio. Everything is cool. I've got a lot of stuff. But I die. And I end up with zero. Nothing. A close friend of my family married into a family and on the spot because of marrying into this family he was worth a couple hundred million dollars. He always kids me around and says, Ed, the best financial decision I've ever made is when I said I do. He said, you know, it was incredible. <laughs> anyway, when he was attending the funeral of his father-in-law, the man who had made it all, he was sitting in a comfortable chair at the graveside. And my friend is a Christian, great guy. And a friend of my friend's turned to him while the minister was reading the 23rd Psalm and said, hey, how much did the old man leave? And my friend turned to him and said, everything. Everything. Isn't it amazing how we're duped into thinking if we score all of these points with possessions that we somehow are going to hit nirvana, we're somehow going to really get into life and discover what it's all about, yet we start and end with zero. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. You see, there is a big difference in competing with everyone and doing your best. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Thus, we should not toy with the tendency to try to score all these points with possessions in between the zeros. Which segues into the third rhyme. Are you ready for it? Change the measure of your treasure. That's what we're to do. We're to get off scoring all these points with possessions between the zeros. We're to change the measure of our treasure. Matthew chapter 6, verse 20. Here's what Jesus said. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Christ is saying, hey, score points in areas that matter. Light up the scoreboard in heaven. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Thus, when I'm born with zero, and as I live life, yeah, I'm going to own stuff. I'm going to have possessions. It's fine to be goal-oriented, to have desires. That's cool. But if I'm really going to light it up, if I'm really going to pass the treasure test, if I'm going to do the Matthew chapter 6, verse 20 thing, if I'm going to change the measure of my treasure, I've got to put stuff I've got to score points in things that really matter, like my personal relationship with Christ. Like daily private worship. Like corporate worship in the local church. Like spending time with my spouse. Like investing in my family. Like 
important things and important stuff. Have you made the choice to change the measure of your treasure? Let's go to another rhyme. I feel like Dr. Seuss. Turn resentment into contentment. Did you hear me say it earlier? I went ahead and put the point out there and gave you the crux of the commandment, the core of this directive up front. I said the antithesis of covetousness is contentment. Let me tell you what contentment is not. Contentment is not this. Ah, I'm just content. That's not contentment. Contentment is, yeah, I'm content. I'm content. It's not passive, it's active. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, knew a lot about contentment. Paul said, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I've learned, Paul said. It's not instantaneous. It's not, mm, I got it. I'm content. Okay, next subject. No, I've learned. It's a process. When Paul said, I've learned, what was he driving at? Paul was saying, well, a long time ago, I was not content. I was covetousness driven. I, I was into things and trying to obsess over people's possessions and all stuff. Now I have learned how to be content. And Paul was content with a bunch, and he was content when he didn't have a bunch. He was content when he was free, and he was content in prison. Paul was content with his contents. You want to be content? Start with where you are right now. I don't care how much you have between the zeros, start with where you are. That was the biggest hurdle and the biggest stumbling block of the Hebrews. They were not into contentment. They were into resentment. They were into covetousness. For 40 years after they'd left Egyptian slavery, this entire nation just wandered around the wilderness. I've been to the Middle East, and I've seen where they wandered in the wilderness, and it's wilderness. Much of sand and rocks and snakes and stuff like that. They just wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. How boring, seeing the same old, same old, day in and day out. And after a while, the Hebrews entered the moan zone. Oh God, I wish we were back in Egypt. It's better to be in slavery than here in the wilderness, God. I can't believe we're not back there. I wish we were back there, God. I if you want to go around and around and around, see the same old, same old, day in and day out, just live with the spirit of covetousness and not contentment. And you will see the same sights in the same way over and over and over again. Remember that song years ago? Will it go around in circles? That's what you're going to do. That's what I'm going to do. So start being content. Learn how to be content where you are right now. I don't care if you have $200 million or you have $20. Learn contentment. We have to understand several things about contentment, though. 
And to understand these things, let's, let's, let's look at a spirit of covetousness. Because if we're not content and we're into doing the covetousness thing, the things we're chasing, the things we're trying to obsess about and, and possess and accrue are temporal. They will rot, they'll rust, and they'll devalue and depreciate. And, and God had our safety in mind. Don't you love God for this? God had our safety in mind when he put this one in print. God was saying, I want to save you from all of the time you're going to burn up and from all of the letdown and the pain and suffering that you're going to feel for thinking that things really are going to do it for you because what you're holding is going to rot, it's going to rust, it's going to depreciate and devalue. So God's saying, don't do that. Have it lightly grasped. Another thing about doing the covetousness thing is we're going to understand that the things we're chasing are very heavy. They're burdensome. They'll weight us down. Case in point would be Psalm 51. You remember when David saw Bathsheba, Uriah the Hittite's wife, and when David saw her, he lusted after her and he had an affair with Bathsheba? Didn't Barbara Walters interview Bathsheba? Anyway. After this act of adultery, David began to feel the weight of covetousness. And he could barely hold up the heaviness of it. And if you read about his family, his family was plagued by rape and incest and murder and rebellion. It's too heavy to mess with. Don't even think about it. Those objects that you covet will weight you down. They'll do it every single time. Let's look at the last one. And then we'll wind it down. And this is my favorite one. I call this one, you'll see it there, master the task of the ask. Master the task of the ask. Sunday night, Monday night, and Tuesday night of this week, I was in Sea Island, Georgia, with eight pastors from around the country. And we met together for a, a forum-type setting and a dialogue, and we talked about issues that senior pastors deal with. Now, several of these senior pastors that I got to know are outstanding leaders. And there's one thing I've noticed about great leaders. Great leaders ask great questions. They're always asking questions. Question after question after question after question. Have you seen that before? Have you ever noticed that before? Always probing. Always asking things that kind of get you back on your heels. Things that kind of take you back. Always asking questions. We, as Christians, have to master the task of the ask. If we're going to live in contentment, if we're going to kick covetousness out the door, we've got to master the task of the ask. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take out a pen or a pencil and write down three words. Write down three words. And I'm going to teach you a question about each 
of the word. The first word I want you to write down is response. The second word is reaction. And the third word is record. Response, reaction, and record. Here's the first question. What is my response? Ask it to yourself. What is my response when something turns my heart or my head? What's, what's my initial response when I see that, that car, that outfit, that home, that plane, that, that whatever you want to say? What is my reaction? Do I have this desire that begins to rage into a fire or do I throttle back and say to myself, okay, okay, because God gave us all a mind and, and common sense, because I want us to go through this drill. We should say this. Hmm. Sure it cost a lot to buy that. Man, I wonder what those payments are. I wonder what it would cost to insure it. And just think about this. If you had this particular object, in most circumstances, just think of all the people who'd be trying to buddy up to you so they could use it. First question is this response question. The second question is the reaction question. What's my reaction when a peer gets a promotion or receives a windfall or a really good deal? What's my reaction? Ask yourself that question. I don't have a problem with breaking the Tenth Commandment if someone in residential real estate gets a promotion or something good happens to them. I don't have a problem if a coach does or a teacher or a doctor or a lawyer, but I can feel those engines begin to rev and the, and the, and the passion to possess kind of begin to overtake me when it's a, another senior pastor. Isn't it interesting? how we usually struggle with this deal over people who do the same thing that we do. It's one mother to another mother. It's one CEO to another CEO. It's one manager to another manager. It's one nurse to another nurse. If I'm content, when something good happens to them, I say, good for you. Good for you. Let me give you a secret. If you're really competing and getting after someone and you kind of secretly want one of your little friends in your peer group to fail or to fumble or to mess up or to get chewed out by the boss, and you kind of go, yeah, all right, I'm so glad it happened to you. I'm so glad you failed. <laughs> if you're like that, pray for that person. Pray for that person. That's what I do in my life. When I'm really beginning to covet, I say, okay, I'm just going to start praying for them. And when I pray for them, only God has a way of just, of just turning that resentment into contentment through the task of the ask, asking God about it. The last one, what's my record? I mean, how, how am I really 
keeping score. Am I, am I between the zeros getting so into scoring the points with possessions that I'm missing the whole deal? Am I so into competition that I've forgotten about doing my best before God? Because every time we compete with someone else, we're making a mockery of God's creative genius. We can't compete really with other people because we're all unique. We're all different. We all have unique skill sets given to us by our skillful lover and maker, God. A friend of mine used to play professional football. He was in the NFL for 10 years. Led the league in penalties for half of his career. I will not give you his name. And he told me, he said, Ed, you know, you know my, my weakness was I took everything personally. He said, I was so, and I'll use his words, dadgum competitive that when someone would hit me, I wouldn't worry about the offense anymore. I wanted to get him back. I wanted to bust him. And we watch these game films and the coaches would say, hey, you're so fast, you're so strong, you're so good. You could be all pro, but you take it too personally. You're trying to get that person back and you're missing the flow of the game. That's where a lot of us are. We're so into competing, so into keeping score, so into keeping records that we're missing the flow of the game. We're missing what God wants to unfold in our lives. Let's get into contentment, church. Why don't we? Let's make the call. Let's remember the rhymes. Hey, I want to be a person who's content with my contents. I want to be a person who's lighting up the scoreboard in heaven. I want to be a person of love and grace and tenderness, a person who reflects the true nature and character of God. Is it mine over matter for you? I hope not. I hope you are proud, not of your possessions, but by who possesses you. Because when we have that mentality, every single day will be first and ten. First and ten. Thank you for listening and thanks to all who give so generously to this ministry. It's because of you that we can continue this show and equip people with the hope of heaven. You can click the link in the description to support the show or visit edyoung.com. There you can also be resourced with bonus content for free, including a daily devotional. We also encourage you to share the message today with those around you. Thank you again for listening. God bless.